Welcome to Cancel Culture, the business of law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Welcome back to Council Culture, the business of Law Podcast. Uh, I've got Michael on this week. Hello, Michael. How are you? Hi, Meg. All good. Um, How's your cold? You know what? <laughs> it comes and it goes. It can't be trusted. Um, but looking forward to tomorrow because I'm flying off to Hong Kong. And then um, I think Liam's going to be hosting next week. So, yeah, uh, I'll be off for a while. <laughs> um Let's start with the news of the week. Um, I gotta say, this week's been very heavy in terms of cybersecurity issues. Uh, and let's start off with the first one. It was in the FT, I think, yesterday. Um, and um, it's a story from uh, Kay Wiggins, Leo Lewis, and Joe Lee. Um, and uh, basically, it's a story about how um, some Deloitte and KPMG um, uh, executives have basically been advised to um, not use their usual work phones uh, in Hong Kong and instead use some uh, burner phones. Um, Some McKinsey uh, consultants have been also taking the same kind of measures. I have no doubt that this is an issue that we're probably going to see across professional services overall and financial services, um, given some concerns around cybersecurity and whatnot and and spying and all that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on this, I feel? Well, I I suppose my first thought is, um, have you got your burner phone ready for tomorrow? (laughs) I do not, as a matter of fact. (laughs) But I am stressed about whether I'm going to be arrested at immigration. Like, this is my biggest fear right now. Unless, in, unless there are things that we really need to talk about, Meg, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but more seriously, I think, I think this underlying. I mean, apart from, you know, I'm associating burner phones with like 1990s Nokia bricks. I think everyone is. <laughs> you know, but then go in the bin on the way to the airport or something. But um, which I'm sure is not quite correct. But. Um, uh, it does underline the increasing difficulty, I think, of doing business in China and Hong Kong as Hong Kong becomes more enveloped in the, um, I suppose, the, 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 uh, the government apparatus of China and the PRC rather than its historical um, historical um, uh, slightly more liberal democratic yeah common law basis and that's starting to become apparent um how serious it really is i don't know um it may be that it's only for certain types of work etc etc but clearly the national security laws are such that there is a lot more latitude for surveillance um and China no doubt has the ability to, to, to conduct that surveillance on devices um, through very sophisticated security services beyond what maybe, you know, if you go to an emerging market where they might be potentially very interested, but they probably don't have the ability to, 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 to penetrate devices, etc. Whereas um, no doubt China does. Um, and I think it just underlines that increasing difficulty. Um, I don't know if there's an answer, but I think you're correct that we will probably continue to see this national security um, uh, issues 
high on the agenda. There's a Perkins Coy lawyer quoted in the article talking about the general feeling is that it's important to be cautious in Hong Kong as well. Um, so, um, you know, risk of hacks and client data being accessed, those are very serious issues. Of course they are. Sure. Um, and, you know, um, lawyers, auditors, accountants, management consultants do hold you know, commercial sensitive data on their clients. So that, that, that need, they need to have comfort, but those are not being accessed. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting to me, I mean, you know, they're talking about the phones here, but I would assume that if it hasn't already, that will extend to other tech equipment for, for these um, executives as well. I mean, you know, why would it be okay to take your phone, like to take a burner phone, but not have a different laptop if you're that concerned about security? Um, so I don't know. I wonder if, if they're going to extend that to other things. Um, and just in more general terms, like this is quite, there's a clear kind of uh, worry within the business community around this. And, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, I mean, Hong Kong being such a huge hub for international business, it just makes you wonder what it will look like in 15 to 20 years time, if it's still going to hold such a kind of huge position or if it's going to be diminished a little bit? Um, well, I think if you compare, you know, Hong, as Hong Kong becomes closer to China, it raises certain issues because it, you know, it's historically been a, fi- a global financial center that's integrated very much into the world economy and open, etc. Yeah. Um, the quid pro quo for it becoming under the aegis of the national security laws, etc., and, and the more... The, the the less democratic, more autocratic approach. You know, you can have a people have different different views on that, but the point is that you know, global capital markets, business centres need to be able to provide assurances around things like client confidentiality and yeah. data not being compromised, and state surveillance really doesn't help that. I mean, it's a question mark, I suppose. I mean, I don't, you know, if you. Without wishing to concern you, Meg, tomorrow, but your um, yeah, but 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 your um, personal devices, I assume, are just as open to 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 it. But the point is that um, you know, most of us, unless you are a former world leader or a you know CEO of a company or whatever, then um, you're unlikely to be of particular interest. I would have thought. Yes, yeah. <laughs> let's hope so. Um... So the next story, I mean, we'll see if, I, if I call you from Hong Kong and be like, Michael, I'm in jail. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what to expect. We'll see. That's my first time in Asia, so hopefully it will go well. Um, <laughs> if, if, if Meg doesn't return from a podcast in January, we will, we, we will explain why. So moving on, um, again, it's still about cybersecurity. So um, this week, um, CTS, uh, a huge provider of managed IT services, for uh, professional services and the legal industry um, had a major cybersecurity incident and was kind of, um, had, had a service outage as a, as a result. Um, so obviously a lot of, you know, firms out there were affected quite quite a lot. Um, I mean... It's a fact of life, isn't it? Let's it face is. it. I mean, um, between, you know, we've seen Alan Lowry, uh, we there are, there are few firms of any size out there but whether directly through through their own systems or indirectly through suppliers haven't been impacted in some way but this is quite a significant one because 
unlike most law firm cybersecurity stories, this one made the BBC, this one made Telegraph, this one made the Mail, uh, because it's impacting the ability for the firms that do lots of conveyancing work to actually complete um, for their clients. So, you know, people, so chains have been under strain or collapsing um, because completions haven't been going through. Yeah. Um, I think the big convincing firms have been finding workarounds uh, this week. I'm not sure if things are back online, but um, I'm not. I'm not certain they are. But um, certainly, completions happened before some yeah. of these IT services were available, and it's a bit like having to go like backwards a little bit to get things done. So I think they're finding manual workarounds potentially using other suppliers to get things done yeah. because you know frankly and thankfully it's not a it's not all there are alternatives to to, to 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 these systems even if they are just a short-term fix um and but it is unusual to see uh see an incident like this really hit the mainstream press yeah. because it's impacting normal people doing normal uh, doing normal things like buying and selling houses um, which obviously it's a huge deal involving the biggest purchase or, or, or sale, but the largest amounts of money that most of us ever deal with in our lives. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's incredibly important and it just underlines, I suppose, the, the reality of cyber incidents, cyber security and uh, the, the importance, the reality of the attacks and the importance of cybersecurity for things which are, you know, we assume are going to be fine, but incredibly important. Definitely. Um, I mean, I think also it's just a, a difficult, <laughs> obviously, PR issue to navigate for both CTS and, and all the, their customers, I guess, uh, at the moment. And to, just not even just PR, but just in, in general communications, I guess, uh, with with. Well, these, these firms own clients and internal communications and whatnot. So I guess it's really important to get the approach to with any any cyber issue. It's really important to get the approach right. You know, you've got to contain it. You've got to understand it quickly. You've got to understand if you have reporting obligations because there are actual rules here. Unlike you know, there, there, are, there are crises that you plan for, but you don't necessarily have to move at speed for, such as, you know, a, a conduct issue or whatever. Um, there are crises that happen really quickly, um, like maybe a business continuity one because, you know, uh, there's, there's an issue in one of your offices that need, requires it to be evacuated or something. But cybersecurity is kind of unique because it, it, it's deemed to be kind of very much your responsibility you have to. You have. You only have like seventy-two hours to report to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. You have obligations to communicate to your clients. You have obligations to communicate rapidly to your staff if their data has been impacted. So there are actual rules around this. And if you are, and obviously most businesses have cybersecurity insurance these days. Um, so you know you, you need to comply with all the rules yeah. if you're not going to invalidate your insurance. Yeah. So um, it. It, it's super important to be able to act professionally, act quickly, and communicate um, in, a, in a really timely fashion in the right way. Yeah. And and that's applicable for most businesses now. 
but law firms, because they tend to hold very sensitive data, and in some cases, all of that is changing, you know, there, there, there are firms that have suffered because they've had out-of-date systems or whatever, that they have been relatively easy uh, targets. Some firms have been relatively easy targets for, for, for hackers. And I'm not, I don't know what's happened with CTS. Um, um, so... Uh, I don't know what their particular situation is in terms yeah. of what's what, what what's what's broken or whatever, but more broadly, firms have been easier targets because they haven't necessarily been particularly sophisticated in their approach to IT, yet are holding really valuable, sensitive documents. For sure, for sure. So I guess we'll keep a close eye on on what's next with this, really, because I expect the story to develop quite a lot um, in the coming. minor update on the Axiom Ins uh, issue. So the SRA um, has decided that there will be no immediate one-off levy against solicitors to pay for um, the Axiom Ins fallout. Uh, however, uh, the, the SRA has also ruled, ruled out capping uh, compensation claims for clients of the collapse firm, meaning that a hike in contributions is still possible next year. Um, just a minor update. I mean, I think I think it's going to be interesting in the coming months because obviously for anyone who's seen the wrong Friday story last week, um, I think a lot of people in the comments were saying, you know, I don't want to be paying for this, which is fair enough. Um, so I'm quite curious as to how the market's going to react. I mean, I think it's it's a kind of people are going to be happy about this right now. But the the fact that there's a prospect of paying again, like paying next year is is still not what people would want. Um well, you know, this is the price. The price paid for largely self-regulation yeah. is you have to pay to sort out your own messes as a profession, yeah. and that's you know that. Yeah, but I mean, I think this is quite a different case, though. I mean, I feel like you know the money is traceable. Yeah, but regardless, but that it will take years to sort that yeah. stuff out. Um, the the point I think philosophically, the point is that. The, the the literal literally the price that the profession pays for self-regulation is a commitment to make good on yeah. um on client losses so that's why you know the sra is set up and and its interventions team etc is set up not to realize value for owners of firms but to protect clients and the protection of clients is absolutely paramount yeah. um protecting client files protecting uh clients from 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 uh losses etc so um you know it the in the industry the regulator needs to be needs to be sufficiently effective to minimize these sorts of things um but if something like this does happen, then the profession just has to pony up and pay the bill because um, if they don't pay it, then somebody else does. And if somebody else pays it, then um, that kind of external regulation becomes a factor. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so if you want to read more about this latest update, um, feel free to go to the Law Gazette. John Hyde wrote a story about it today. Uh, I think Jack Wilmack at Lot.com as well. Um, so, yeah, people are keeping an eye on, on the whole saga. I mean, I think let's move on from, from drama and cybersecurity. Uh, there was a story in the eye, and I think that was only in the print, um, s- stating that uh, an LSE study suggests that workplace well-being schemes are a waste of employers' time and money. 
um, with employers likely to benefit um, from concentrating on reducing negative aspects of the workplace. Um, so it's interesting because in law and I guess in, in other professions as well, to be fair, um, there's been such a kind of, in recent years, such a focus on implementing those well-being schemes and whatnot, and especially in those like stressful professions. And it makes sense because obviously there is a demand for it. Um, you know, a lot of people are struggling with various things and it's important to be able to respond to that. But it's interesting because, you know, across the board, I think the question is how efficient are those schemes and and how can we improve them when, when it's possible? Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting kind of report in the eye. It is really interesting. I think um, if we think about how, if you think about difficulties in work, well, if you think about difficulties in life and difficulties in work, yeah, you know, it's it's all very well an employer offering an employee assistance program or well-being schemes. And I'm not saying they're not important, but the data here, which covers uh, banking, finance, and professional services, so there will be some law firms in here, found that none were in favor or saw them as particularly valuable of workplace wellbeing initiatives. Um, So, you know, that is a data point. It won't tell necessarily the whole story. But the point is, is that those kind of employee assistance programs and wellbeing schemes, they're sort of there almost for the things that are, like hard things that happen in life, not necessarily in work. Yeah. And is that really, is it really appropriate for an employer to be trying to deal with those things? I mean, maybe it's appropriate for them to offer something, but, you know, if I, I wouldn't necessarily, apart from health issues and potentially mental health issues, I wouldn't necessarily go to my employer yeah. to sort out or, or, or for any scheme sponsored my, for my employer for stuff which is outside of work. And stuff that's inside of work, actually, it's for the employer to do with it directly. And this does say that, um, you know, the people surveyed said that employers should focus on concentrating on reducing negative aspects of a workplace, such as bullying, favoritism, burnout, and lack of career progression. So there is an element, I think, of if firms are saying, oh, we've got a well-being program instead of, or we've got an employee assistance program. Uh, and they've sort of outsourced the issue, it to a third party kind of supplier. Yeah. Um, versus actually investing in dealing with the things that are actually within their control to some extent, yeah. such as managing issues around burnout, tackling bullying issues when they arise properly. And I think it's perfectly possible for an employer to do all of those things well and still offer employee assistance programs, wellbeing programs. It would be unfortunate if a company was offering the latter but wasn't really dealing with the former. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting given the focus on well-being, but I think very, it, what it does say is companies need to think about the things that are within their line of sight, which they can actually do something about and need to be across. Externalizing it and looking to looking you know, or, or, or delegating delegating dealing with any of those issues to a third party isn't really going to deal with anything i agree what do you think i I agree i think i mean it's good to see that there's some strides in in the space because i think it's needed anyway um but i think yeah maybe a bit more focus on specific issues related to the workplace might actually as they say might be more beneficial um now i don't know what would be possible to implement i'm not an expert but it would be interesting to see some suggestions out there and 
seeing different firms and, and businesses doing implementing new policies and trying them out and see if if it works out actually um i think it's a lot of kind of trial and error at this point um because i don't think anyone's got the solution um so yeah but anyway uh i think that's the end of the episodes a short one this week yeah uh, i think we've been really busy <laughs> um so uh, so yeah um we'll be back next week for another episode with liam this time So uh, make sure to tune in. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Um, And yeah, I'll see you guys in a few weeks' time, I guess. We hope. We hope. (laughs) We hope. We hope. (laughs) It's not guaranteed. (laughs) You've been listening to Council Culture, the Business of Law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and join us again next week we'll be discussing some more of the biggest stories in the legal sector.